Ecclesiastes to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18. 1 Kings, chapter 18. You would expect after the song service that the message this morning might be pertaining to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that's not the case. In fact, if you noticed on the bulletin board in the foyer, you might have noticed that the sermon title actually sounds more like the gunfight at O.K. Corral. (laughs) Showdown at sundown. And by the way, that might be a whole lot closer to the truth than what you think it is. Certainly, of all of the doctrines of the Christian faith, the doctrine of the virgin birth is is along with the resurrection, the two that are most commonly attacked by by the doubters in this world. And if ever we needed to stand for the truth, it's today. Instead of just throwing up our hands in despair and just ignoring the, the Bible deniers, we need to have an answer for every person that would inquire as to a reason for our hope. The Bible is God's call to man. From the very beginning to the very end, you find God calling out for a response from man. You see that in the very last chapter, where the Spirit and the Bride says, Come, God is speaking to us just as He did with Adam. He said to Adam, Where art thou? Now certainly God knew where he was, but he wanted Adam to deal with the sin issue in his life. So God is speaking today, calling out to all mankind, and every preacher has the awesome responsibility of calling his generation to God. And the fact that people refuse to respond does not relieve him of his obligation. Sometimes preachers just decide in their heart, what's the use? I mean, you know, I think if my memory serves me correct, and it does not always do so, I think I can remember having said at some low points in my life, I might as well have just preached Mary had a little lamb and then just dismiss the congregation. Because sometimes preachers feel that way, that regardless of what I say, it's not going to make any difference in anybody's life. I'm just kidding myself. Now, it's Satan that puts those thoughts in the preacher's mind, but the preacher needs to be alert to the fact that our responsibility does not rest upon the response of the people, but rather upon our obligation to God. Now, in our text here, we find a man who did his duty under the very toughest conditions. Remember, it had not rained for three and a half years, and here we see that he is about to face Ahab, the most wicked king that Israel had ever had, and he's about to face Ahab and 850 false prophets. Showdown at sundown. Let's notice what happened 
Beginning in verse 17, we see the conflict. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves four hundred, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Now remember, it has not rained for about three and a half years, and upon this meeting, which is amazing in itself, that Ahab, who had been looking to kill Elijah, had been hunting him down, is now engaged in a conversation with him. So here are the two in dialogue as to the problem that existed in the nation. The cattle are dying, the crops won't grow, the people are hungry. Three and a half years of no rain has taken its toll upon the people. And Ahab is blaming the preacher for the condition in Israel. But I want you to notice that Elijah is quick to point the finger of blame where it needed to be. He said there in verse 18, he says, Here's the problem, king. Ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now, notice, Elijah did not say, I'm okay, you're okay. And nor was he trying to win friends and influence people. That tough old prophet stood in the king's face and boldly proclaimed the truth describing the nature of the problem, which was rebellion and apostasy. We live in an age of much confusion today, and we hear all kinds of explanations as to why things are as they are. And even in religious circles, there's a lot of bewilderment, and some people tell us, you know, well, you know, the Bible's just no longer relevant to our time. And others tell us that the church ministry ought to be more of a social nature than it is just about spiritual things and, and, and preaching. And so they tell us that what we really need are new methods today instead of old-fashioned Bible preaching. So they've got all kinds of ideas, but the real root of our problem is exactly the same as it was in that day and that is that we have forsaken the commands of God. We are in rebellion against God just as Israel was in that day. We've sinned. God has shut up the windows of heaven as it were. We become barren and weak and churches shrivel up and die all as a result of that one same problem that they had. We forsake the fountains of living water. We hew out cisterns that hold no water. We are as religious as ever, but we have forsaken the Lord. And what we fail to understand is that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare, and instead of fighting the enemy, we're playing games for the most part today. How serious are you about 
Christianity. Most people got the idea, well, what's in it for me? I'll guarantee you, when they send you over to Iraq, you don't go over there with the idea that I'm going to Iraq or Afghanistan because of what's in it for me. No soldier in his right mind would say, well, I just don't think I'll go unless there's something in it for me. Or unless I'm really going to enjoy it. Uh, You know, there's not much to really enjoy over there. And it's not what you get out of. It's the contribution that you need to to make. So here we are in in America with all of the benefits, all of the blessings of God upon us. And at the same time, for the most part, living in rebellion against God and then acting as though nothing is wrong. That God ought to feel privileged that He is represented by such people. So here's the conflict that existed in Elijah's day, and it's much like the conflict that we face even today. If you go back and look at the very first message in this series where we talked about a nation that is on the wrong road, we described the the similarities between the worship of Baal and what we see today. So we're living in a time of conflict, whether we admit it or not. But notice the challenge. And might I add, there ought to be a challenge issued in such a conflict as this. Notice what he says in verse number 21. Verse number 21. And Elijah came unto all of the people and said, Are you listening? How long halt ye between two opinions? The Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. You see, Elijah identified the problem, and then he said to the king, I want you to gather all of the nation together, bring all of the false prophets to Mount Carmel. We're going to have a showdown. Now, it's really hard to imagine that this wicked king would obey Elijah, but he did. Remember, he is in a state of desperation at this point. And I don't know, I've got a feeling that it just might be that he thought Elijah is going to make a fool out of himself. I'll guarantee you one thing, he did not anticipate what happened. That thought did not enter into his mind. So then the crowd is gathered here, and it's the time now for the pertinent question, and here it is. How long halt ye between two opinions? He says, if the Lord be God, then you ought to follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. This is a call for decision. You know, I'm really, I'm amazed that they at this time are so indecisive. Remember, they've just experienced God's wrath, His judgment upon their land. The prophets of God are being murdered. And yet here they stand at a crossroads like a calf looking at a new gate as though they don't know what to do. It should have been obvious, don't you think? There are a lot of folks today that are in that same situation. Here they are having faced the chastisement of God. 
God has allowed difficulties to come into their life. God has worked providentially to get their attention, to bring them to their senses, and yet here they are wondering what's wrong. And it ought to be obvious. I think more than ever we preachers need to say, here is the way, walk ye in it. Listen, it's not enough to just simply preach a message with a take-it-or-leave-it attitude. People ought to be challenged to make the right decision. That's what he's doing. He could have stood there that day and he could have enumerated all of the things wrong with the nation of Israel and just left it at that. He could have concluded that y'all are just getting exactly what you deserve, and he would have been right. But it would have been a big mistake to just stop there with condemning them. He's calling them to make a decision. Now, you cannot force people to change, but we can use all of our power of persuasion trying to get them to do so. That's the major difference between preaching and teaching. It's not that in preaching you're not teaching. I mean, if you're not teaching anything when you're preaching, well, you're not preaching. People ought to be able to learn. But listen, when it comes to preaching, we ought to exhort people to take that information, to take the truth, and apply it to their lives. That's what Elijah is doing. Listen, we need more preachers like that today. That will stand up on their hind legs in the face of opposition, say, this is the way, walk ye in it, this is what you ought to do. He, listen, he's not leaving it up to them saying, now, you all just, you know, decide however you feel is best. He's pointing them in the right direction. Now, notice, having made this challenge in the face of the conflict, I want you to notice the contest. It begins actually in verse number 22, because he didn't just stop here with the challenge. I want you to notice what happens next. Verse number 22, Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on, lay it on wood, and put no fire under Now let's stop there for just a minute. Now I want you to notice, he didn't just challenge them and walk off. He initiated a contest, and it's a very simple proposal that he's making. He tells the 450 prophets, false prophets, he said, you know, you prepare a bullock and put it on the wood, put it on your altar, and you start praying to your God. And he said, then I'll do the same. The God that answers by fire will, you know, let that be the God. Now, there are five things in this contest I want you to notice this morning. Number one, issues must be challenged. And we've just seen that in verse 17 and 18. King Ahab said, you're the problem. He challenged that. The issue was not a lack of rain. The issue was a lack of repentance, folks. Issues need to be challenged and clarified. Indecision must be challenged. Then verse 21, 
They're undecided. Here they are. The people are gathered together. They're standing there. And he, he has made a challenge concerning the decision they need to make. But then in verse 22, all the way down through verse 29, we see that idolatry must be condemned. Let's think about that for just a little while because this is a showdown. And I want you to notice that whenever the prophets of Baal failed, Elijah did not hesitate to mock them. Now think about this. Here they are, and the Bible tells us, verse number 26, there was no voice, nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. I mean, listen, these guys are trying their best. You talk about emotional, they're really getting emotional. Now, they're jumping up and down. They're screaming and yelling and doing everything in their power to get the attention of their God, and there's no voice from heaven. There's no fire from heaven, no answer from their God. Now, what should be the response of Elijah? And you hear people all the time say, well, I don't think you ought to ever say anything bad, anything negative about other religions. Now, I'll tell you, listen, we'll talk about it more in a minute. Sin needs to be denounced regardless of what form it's in or who it comes from. But I do have to say that I, you know, and I might be mistaken, but I can't remember, I can't remember in a, in a sermon getting up and denouncing some denomination or some religious organization and then going out here and poking fun at them. I, I, I don't think I've ever done that. And you might be thinking, yeah, and that'd really be wrong to do that. Did you notice what Elijah did? They can't get the fire to fall down from heaven. And he's not just standing there with a silly grin on his face. Notice it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Now remember, he's mocking them. Cry out! For he is a God. Either he's talking or he's pursuing or he is in a journey or peradventure. He sleepeth and must be awake. He's mocking them. Now, there's a reason why he's doing this. He's doing it simply to get the attention of the people to publicly condemn the sinfulness of these people. And we live in a day and age where we worry too much about being socially acceptable and politically correct. We live in a day and an age where we are afraid to stand up and condemn sin. Now, I realize that we are to be loving, we're to be kind, we're to be tactful, but that does not mean we are to be silent whenever false religions are deceiving us. If I saw a rattlesnake about to, you know, bite one of my children or one of my little grandchildren. I don't care where that rascal is at. He can be in the middle of the living room on that carpet, but when I hit him with a hole, the blood's going to splatter everywhere. I'm not interested in the mess that it makes. I'm interested in the safety of those children. That's what's important. And any time, any religious denomination, I don't care if it's Baptist or whoever it is, whatever denominational tag they might have, when they get up and they preach and they teach something that is contrary to the Bible concerning the matter of salvation, and here are people believing their message and being damned as a result of it, don't you expect me to remain silent? You get just as mad as you want to get. But listen, I have a responsibility to condemn sin, and that's what we see in Elijah. 
idolatry being condemned, issues being clarified, indecision being challenged. But notice then, he doesn't just stop there. Instruction must be conveyed. Notice verse number 30, and we'll read right on down through verse 35. And Elijah said unto all of the people, Come near unto me. And all of the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. Now, I want you to notice he's giving instructions to the people as to what to do. And, and I've got to admit, it just seems a little bit, little bit off the wall to me. How about you? You'll notice that he is imposing more difficulty on Jehovah God than he is on the false prophets. And there's a reason for that. He knows the false prophets are going to fail. And he knows that God cannot and will not fail. So he says, douse it down with water, the wood and the sacrifice. In other words, he's simply saying, I don't want anyone to think that I've resorted to magic or trickery in order to win this contest. I'm going to make it clear to you that it is God who is in control in this situation. So they douse down the wood, they douse down the sacrifice, they do it once, they do it twice, they do it three times, and now the trench is full of water. There's water standing everywhere. I mean, it's humanly impossible to ignite that wood, humanly impossible to consume that sacrifice here. You see, Elijah wants them to see what God can do. That's what we need to see today. Not what the preacher can do, it's what God can do. Now notice, here's the fifth thing. He didn't stop there. A lot of times, you see, we organize and we plan and so on and so forth, and we set up the structure and we get things functioning, and here we go, and we just stop there, and that's why we fail. But there's another ingredient that is absolutely essential. Notice what happens, verse 36. Intercession must be completed. In other words, if we don't pray, we're going to fail. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all of these things at thy word. In other words, I did not presume to do any of these things. Are you listening to me? Remember, he mocked the false prophets. He gave instructions concerning the, uh, the, the sacrifice and the water and everything. He says, all I've done is been at the word of the Lord. In other words, God is guiding me in all of these matters. Now, it's very important that we understand that. 
I've heard preachers sometimes use their their silly actions in, in such a way they tried to justify them by going over to Nehemiah, for example. Do you remember what happens with Nehemiah? I mean, he is really ticked off. The people have sinned grievously against God, and the Bible says he plucked the beard from their face and cursed them. I've got to tell you, I've been pretty mad at the congregation a few times in my life, but I've never yanked nobody's beard out or cursed them. I don't think I'd dare to do that. And maybe you're thinking, well, he shouldn't have done that. How do you know? You wasn't there. You don't know what God might have been telling him to do. Are you with me? Do you, are, are, do you understand what I'm getting at? You see, sometimes people are guilty of trying to sit in judgment of the pastor or a church leader in regards to something when they have no clue what's going on. Why would he do that? Why would he say it like that? Could not he have been more kind? Could he have been more gentle about it? And so on and so forth. Listen, if all you do is just baby talk people, a lot of times they're not going to get the message at all. Sometimes you've got to ruffle a few feathers to wake people up. Even if they get mad first, at least you've got their attention. And you sit in judgment of me all you want, but until you've walked in my shoes, you better be careful about what you say. Elijah said, I'm doing all of this at the word of the Lord. That is, God is directing me. Now notice, hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God and that Thou hast turned their heart back again. Intercession must be completed. What do you suppose would have happened if Elijah had just condemned the problem and gone through the formality of building the altar and putting the book on the altar and so forth and just stopped there? You say, well, that's enough, you know, for today. I mean, after all, if God wants to send fire, I mean, I've done my part. There it is. I mean, everything is in place. You see, folks, we do that in regards to church so many times. We build a building. We erect a sign. We establish a program. We organize the congregation. We get all of these parts in place. And here we go. We start holding church services. And and, and our mentality is now if God wants to add to it or do anything, you know, He'll just do whatever He wants to do. And we just leave it there on God's doorstep so as to relieve us of our actual responsibility. So we do all of this religious stuff and then we fail to pray. And if even we care a little bit, then we wonder why is it nothing is happening. Nothing's going to happen of eternal value without prayer. Some of you here this morning, no doubt, you want your marriage to be better, but you don't pray. Some of you here, you need a job, but you don't really get serious about prayer. Some of you need help with your finances, but you're not desperate enough yet that you'll start praying on a regular basis. Some of you have got other kinds of problems. Maybe it's your temper, your pride, or whatever it is. Things that you know need to be changed in your life, but you're not at the point you're willing to pray about it. Listen, that's why the fire doesn't fall today. We don't pray. 
And we're never going to have showers of blessings and, and the rainfall that we need unless we, unless we pray. We can't survive by just talking about things that God has done in the past. All morning here, I've been talking about Elijah, the man of God. And we're talking about this wondrous thing that God is about to do. And we look back as well we should with great admiration upon Elijah. And sometimes, you know, we just think, well, that's all there is to it. That's the end of the story. We need to make a personal application to every single message that we hear from God's Word. I'm telling you, we cannot survive just by thinking about what God did a long time ago. Every generation needs proof of God's power. The unbelieving world needs to see a living demonstration of the presence and the power of God. Let me give you an example of that. When Paul was writing to the church at Corinth concerning their various problems, I want you to notice what he says in chapter 14. We're not going to get all often to deal with the tongues issue and so on and so forth, even though that is the context of all of it. But I want you to notice that he tells them that if they do things God's way, what the result will be. Verse 24, chapter number 14. But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. That is, they're revealed, they're made known. And so falling down, are you listening? This is an unbeliever coming into the congregation of the saints. Falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. And when an unsaved person attends services at Northway Baptist Church, they ought to see something in our lives that will convince them of the truth that we stand for. They ought to see a bit of Jesus in each and every one of us. Something about the power of God in each and every one of us. Somebody said, you're the only Bible that some people will ever read. What if the print be blurred? Now you think about that. The folks that are reading your life and they're going to come to a conclusion about Jesus Christ based not on what the Bible says, they're going to come to a faulty conclusion because it's based on what they see in us. Now, back to the story. Verse 38, I want you to notice the conquest. Intercession has now been made. Verse number 40, And Elijah said to them, Take the prophets of Baal, and let not one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now, we, we read this. Remember, he just described in verse 30 and 39 that the fire fell. And notice the fire not only consumed the, uh, the, the, the sacrifice, but the wood and everything. And the fire was so intense that it even, it even licked up the water in the trench. I mean, it's all gone. No trickery here. It's obviously an act of God, something that only God could do. And folks, there are times when there are things in our life that only God can do, 
And there are times when there are things that God expects us to do. Now, God would not have had any problem whatsoever in just consuming all of those false prophets. Are you listening? God could have just as easily consumed the sacrifice and all of the false prophets, all 850. God could have taken care of all of them with one lightning bolt. But He didn't do it. You know why He didn't do it? Because He expected His people to take care of that. You see, God has given us certain responsibilities. And you say to yourself, well, this seems so cruel and such unusual punishment. And if that's what you think, it's because you haven't been studying your Bible. These men were promoting a false religion. They were responsible for the deaths of God's preachers. They'd been putting them to death. And it has to be stopped. God calls for an execution. By the way, that's in keeping with the law if you go back and read. This is what the law demanded. This is what they should have already taken care of. They should not have tolerated those false prophets one minute. They'd been putting up with that even though God's prophets were being persecuted and murdered. And God is saying, I'll take care of the sacrifice, but you better take care of business. The Bible tells us that Elijah, and remember, he's already butchered a calf. He's already built an altar. He's, I mean, sweat dripping from his brow and everything else. And, and, and so he, he goes out there, and I, the Bible makes this very, very personal whenever you read it. And they took them, notice, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Christian and slew them there. Now, you believe whatever you want. I think he personally killed every one of them. God expected it. God demanded it. Now, don't you misunderstand? I'm not saying that that's what we ought to do today. We are not living under such a command today. God has never commanded us today to go out here and to put to death the false teachers, but God has commanded that we earnestly contend for the faith. God has commanded us to take a stand against such sin. And if we expect to be victorious, folks, this is a good example in a lot of areas of our life. And I'm going to close, but listen to me. If we expect to be victorious, we've got to be willing to do whatever God commands, whatever it is. That's what Elijah did. He did precisely what God said, and they gained the victory. And if you read on, you'll see that they received the rain. The very thing they needed was the result of this story we've just talked about this morning. Now listen, what do you need in your life? Do you need the shires of God's blessings upon you? I mean, do you need the precious reviving grain, the abundance that God can provide? What do you need this morning? The only way to victory, folks, in your business, in your marriage, in this church, in our nation, the only way to victory is in the path of obedience. Just doing what God wants us to do. That's real easy to figure out for the most part. 
He said, well, you think you know God's will for my life? I absolutely do in regards to some things. Number one, if you're not saved, I can tell you, I know God's will for your life. Amen. You said, well, I wish you'd tell me. I'm, a, I'm getting ready to. Here's God's will for your life. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God, listen, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all, listen, that all should come to repentance. God wants you to be saved. That's, that's God's will for your life. And you walk out that door this morning unsaved, you're walking out in stubborn rebellion against the God who loves you. If you've been saved, the Lord expects you, the Lord commands you to follow Him in scriptural baptism. If you've been saved and baptized, God expects you to be an active member of a Bible-believing church. Well, you know the list, right? You know the list from there, don't you? You know the list. But what are you doing? Some of you are standing in the crossroads. And you've got to make a choice. And I say to you what Elijah said to that crowd that day. He said, you've got to make a choice. You've got to choose. If God is God, then serve God. But if Baal is God, serve Him. But you've got, to, you've got to make a choice. And folks, we're all going to make a decision here this morning. Jesus said, He that's not for me is against me. Are you for Him this morning? Are you with Him this morning? Are you living in obedience to Him today? Can you honestly say beyond any shadow of a doubt, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm striving to do the very best that I can. Are you being honest about that? What would God have you to do? Will you do it? Will you do it now? We'll see. Let's stand. Father, help us this morning to make a personal application to our lives. Help us, Lord, this morning not to, not to sit in judgment of our brother and sister sitting next to us or our spouse or our children or our parents. Help us, Lord, to take a good, long, hard look at our life. And may the Holy Spirit help us to understand exactly what you want us to do. And Lord, help us to not delay any longer. In Jesus' precious name we pray.